Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This podcast series is brought to you by Morningstar, offering you technology and services to support your end-to-end financial advice process, including product research, investment data, and comprehensive financial planning technology through AdvisorLogic. AdvisorLogic offers you simple yet powerful tools to run your business, deliver holistic advice, and build trust with clients. You can experience an industry-leading digital advice offering. Simply select pre-built strategies, compare products, and generate your advice documents within a single guided workflow. Welcome back to our series uh, brought to you by Morningstar, when we're really looking at technology efficiencies. And in this episode, we are going under the hood. We're talking about integrations, uh, APIs, uh, Zapier, all these things that uh, advisors want to talk about when it comes to stacking or their, their technology stacks. Welcome back to this episode, Phil Thompson. Thank you, Fraser, Murray, Jack. Thanks for having me. No problem. Now, in this episode, we're talking about integrations. What's, uh, you know, the idea of being able to integrate different software with your current, uh, you know, software providers, the stack, all those types of things, those conversations. Tell me about your your business and what you do and how you use integrations. Yeah. Um, so, we've got it like a core software that's more um, like Pipedrive is what we use. Um, and it's, it's pretty important that um, things talk to Pipedrive um, and Pipedrive talks to other things. So we've got a fact-finding software that um, is different to Pipedrive. We've got um, some email software that's also different to Pipedrive. So making sure that um, that the softwares are connected um, through Zapier is, is super important. I mean, it basically runs 50% of my emails is automated um, because, of, because of these integrations. So you're a, you're a Zapier uh, type of guy? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, on Zapier. Yep, and uh, so so is that uh, one of the primary drivers for you? Um, like uh, that integration concept. If, if you're using, did you say Pipe Drive? P I P. Yeah, pipe. Yeah, Pipe Drive. Yep. Yeah, I mean the reason we we connect them is because um, like Pipe Drive just can't do everything, um, and so so it's just important, you know, where Pipe Drive lacks, we need another software to be able to fill that gap. Um, so. Pipedrive is our core where we, you know, track, you know, our communication as a team, where we track where a client's, you know, stage of the process. Um, but some things that it's that it's lacking at the moment is ongoing, you know, automated emails. Uh, it doesn't do that well. And so we've got another software that that um, that does some of that. There are our fact find. You know, once the fact find gets completed, it tells Zapier to move the, the deal across to a completed fact find. Some um, fairly basic zaps. Um, but it, if that doesn't work, then it doesn't communicate to another system that doesn't, you know, then it, everything falls over. Um, and so it's, yeah, really important that, um, that they integrate together. Yeah. Does this uh, also integrate with your website? Um, no, not really. I mean, a, a little bit. We've got a calendar booking system on the website that then, integrates with Pipedrive that sets up a you know a deal and all this stuff but yeah. um but no it's not like you know we don't do website tracking 
And I noticed on your website you use Messenger too. Facebook Messenger is a um as a way of communicating or talking or or reaching out. Is that connected or? Ah, uh, no, it isn't. Good point. I'll, I'll write that on the list of something to do. <laughs> no, no, it's just uh, you know, there's so many different things. Sometimes uh, you can't connect them all, I guess. But I, but I do like that. I think it's a good idea also to um to gather people's um you know real identity, I guess, on the way in. Mm, yeah. Um, now, uh, so when when you talk about if you were to explain APIs, how, what's in in layperson terms? How would you explain it? Oh, I've got no idea. But the way I would explain it is one software talking to another software. Um, and so for me, PipeDrive, when I move a deal across, it then pings another software that says the deal's moved across. So stop sending that email follow up. Yep, nice. And uh, are we talking one way or two way communication? Um, we. I think it's just one way for us. Yeah, we only ever do one-way communication. I'm not super tech savvy, but I'm pretty sure when something happens, it tells the other software that that thing has happened. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And uh, talk to me about the the permissions. Did you understand or, or worked out how most of those sort of things work when it comes to you know client getting information in and, and storing here and there? In terms of like data storage, yeah, yeah, the data flow and the, and the permissions. I mean, obviously, we're sort of thought, I'm thinking of things in the future like open banking and how that's going to work. And when it comes to data flows, as in, how do we with through Zapier and and through those software? Um, have we thought about that? Um, no. <laughs> Fair enough. I've thought about it. Um, in terms of the answer, um, the answer is I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And when you say you use a lot of Zapier integrations, do you search for them through Zapier or is it just something that you, you look for the software first and then see if there is an integration? Um, when we're searching for software, we make sure it does connect through Zapier. But when we're setting up the integrations, it's just a matter of going, well, I need it to do X. So let's let's make it do X. Yep. And how do you go with the with the pricing and the cost of all those sorts of things? Because every, every, it seems like everything you use is another sort of 20, 30 bucks a month here and there and everywhere else. Yeah. Um, it's really just a – if it gives you a net benefit in the business, then it makes sense. Yeah. Like for me, I mean, one of the things that – just a simple thing is like PipeDrive tells our email automation software that the deal's moved across. So when someone pays me a, a fee – it then says, okay, next steps is a fact find. So in seven days, follow up the client to f- complete the fact find. And then seven days after that, follow up again. So for me, that's, you know, I think it's 19 US dollars a month for that software. Like if it saves me from doing two emails a month, then, then happy days. Um, and so if I've got one client a quarter, well, then it may not make sense because I've got one client a quarter, I can just, do the email myself. Um, but if you've got a bigger business and more clients than like $19 a month, you know, you shouldn't be worried about that. Fantastic. And so obviously there's all about this whole thing is around creating efficiencies in, in your time and your calendar and, and creating a lot of automation. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and so talk, talk to us about what other um, stuff you've got hooked up to that pipe drive. Pipe drive? Like a drainage pipe. <laughs> um, so other things, oh, so we've, we've got JotForm. So, yeah, just thinking back to your question about the data, the data actually doesn't flow. The client's personal data doesn't flow across to different systems. But we've got JotForm that, um, that connects. We've got PipeDrive. What else do we have? Drip is our email um, automation software. AdvisorLogic is our um, financial planning software. Uh, Calendly. 
is to book book in um, appointments. Do you have a text message one as well? Or? Uh, yes, just call is our is our f- phone number and, and text message. And we don't have automated text messages yet. Um, that's another area that um, looking at building out is not just sending emails but also texting, but that's a 2022 job. Yeah, fair enough. And ever since I've known you, you've done a lot of video. Have, have you got anything uh, in the video uh, pipeline? Yeah, so we do Loom. Um, we use Loom for, for videos, but that's not necessarily automated. That's just a, you know, if I need to record a video, I'll, I'll send them via Loom. Yep, fantastic. And is there anything in the future that you're looking forward to coming on and, 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 and improving this, you know, your, your pipe drive or your, your, or your uh, processes? I mean, there's there's plenty. Um, is this a two-hour podcast? Because we can go on. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> but it's just, you know, I just think about like always improving everything we do. So how do we get human beings doing less work? Um, how do we make a client experience better? And how do we make ourselves more more compliant, really? And a part of that is also making less mistakes. So if the, the machines can do the work that the client inputs the data, then there's no kind of entering different places and making small mistakes. So, yeah, for me, like, you know, I'm having a meeting with Visologic this week about their Zapier integration and, and how we can get our client data to input into our financial planning software. Fantastic. Phil, thanks for coming on this this, uh, this episode. You mentioned list mistakes. We'll probably pick up on that conversation in the next episode when we discuss compliance. Awesome. Thanks. Welcome back, Jody Douglas. Thank you for having me again. Fantastic to have you on. Now, we're talking about uh, all different things with regards to integration, looking under the hood, putting putting software together. Obviously, uh, you mentioned in the previous episodes that you had 10 different pieces of software in your stack. Let's start there. Tell us about the, the 10 different pieces of software. Yeah, certainly. So the core of all of our business really is our Advisologic CRM. Um, It runs our practice in terms of workflows and the client personal data strategy right through to SOA development and then storing all of our documents. Um, We then use Zoom for our client meetings. Uh, We use Loom for recording our statements of advice to present to our clients. Uh, So that's where we actually send a digital presentation of our statements of advice to clients to watch ahead of our meeting together. Uh, We utilize Microsoft 365 Suite, uh, so everything from email management through to planner um, and all of the things that that encompasses, Teams within Microsoft 365. We really try and embrace how much that can do because it's quite surprising all that's involved in Microsoft. We utilize Please Sign for our digital signatures. Um, Canva for all of our sort of um, branding and marketing, social media, all of those sorts of things. Text Magic for our text reminders. Uh, we also utilize the texting tool within Advisor Logic, um, but it is quite restrictive in that it only has um, a setup for the advisor's phone number, whereas Text Magic, you can import the whole conversation into Advisor Logic. Uh, we utilize Adobe as well. Uh, LastPass. LastPass is for our password uh, secure storage uh, management and MoneySoft and also CashDeck for our cash flow software for clients. Wow, that's uh, that's huge. Now, how do you how do you go about, and I guess it's probably Mike's department, but how do you go about then making all of those talk to each other and, and, and work together? Yeah, it is really difficult. I wish it could all be within Advisor Logic, to be honest. <laughs> 
So quite often they don't. Um, they are separate. However, the great thing is, is all of those different things, like the videos that we create in Loom, um, have a link to the video, which we then store into the document vault of Advisor Logic. Um, we then have, you know, your please signs. Again, it's manually importing those documents in. Um, so there is a huge, still a, a real human element involved in making them talk to each other. There is various components of what we do within those tools that are in Advisor Logic as well, but not to the level that each of those do individually. So, yeah, still very much a human component within there to link it. Yeah, exactly right. Now, talk to me about the Loom uh, recording the SOA. So, you do the SOAs as a standard, say, document SOA, but then you record a video on top as well? Yeah, that's right. So Loom has changed my life. I reached a point in our practice where I was spending with clients probably two to three hours presenting a statement of advice. The statement of advice has always been our product. Uh, We want to make sure that the client understands them, is educated, and I really use that tool. Um, We very much personalize them. We're goals-based advice as well, so we've got the goals that feed through the statement of advice also. Um, But for me, giving up three hours of my time to explain it to a client and the client to give up three hours of their time to take in so much information around holistic advice was just getting so onerous. So we actually sat down and went, okay, you know, it was actually through COVID that started it because I started to do Zoom meetings and Zoom meetings for three hours is impossible. (laughs) So I, I looked at, okay, I need to shorten this. How do I get this information to a client and make sure that they understand it? Uh, I couldn't just email them a statement of advice. They wouldn't read it. Uh, So what I looked at doing was, okay, how can I record my presentation? So Loom enables me to be able to do that and just insert a link. So it's not a huge file that you're sending to a client. It's actually uploaded into the cloud securely. Um, We pay for the business um, subscription to that so that it does have those security measures. And what I do is I I literally record by my sharing my screen and my voice, um, the actual presentation as I would present it to the client. And it's so much fun. The feedback that I get from the clients all the time is, Jodie, we loved your videos. We literally started talking back to you. We thought you were in the room with us (laughs) Uh, because of the method that I put in of of making sure that it's personalised. So I always keep those Loom videos really short, so no more than five minutes. That way the client gets a series of videos. Um, It takes me probably 20 to 25 minutes to deliver the entire statement of advice um, and the key components of actually the strategy and those sorts of things. Uh, we also put in digital links to the product disclosure statements, etc., within the statement of advice so they can click on those. Um, but it's a way of at delivering advice to clients in a, a way that's convenient for them. They can also come back to it and re-watch certain sections. So ensuring that we, you know, the standard of ethics where we need to make sure that a client understands the advice, this gives them time to actually uh, listen to that recording, read the statement of advice, and then we have a catch-up for about half an hour to 45 minutes afterwards where I ask them a series of questions to ensure that they are comfortable and they have read and watched the videos so we can then implement. Yeah, wow, that's that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Now, now talk to me about 365 because obviously this is a big um, 
massive piece of technology uh, and something that you're, as you said before, you've, you've got right into it and you're starting to use some of the pieces of it, whether it's some um, planner or teams or, um, you know, the whole suite really. Tell mm-hmm. us about how long you've spent on really getting up to speed with that because I, I guess it's not something that you could just, if you're moving to 365, then you just automatically know how to use it all. Yeah, that's right. Look, I still don't know how to use it all. (laughs) I'll be honest. There is so much to it. Um, And there's still so many capabilities that we're not using. However, what we do do, as I mentioned in uh, our previous episode, is that we do monthly sessions together as a team where we actually delve deeper into what it can do. Um, And we actually also have, so we utilize um, SharePoint within Microsoft 365. So that's our intranet internally, where we actually have wikis on how to do things. Uh, we also have links to all of the Microsoft videos. So when we're doing certain things or, you know, we're in planner and wondering if we can filter um, to, to run a report, things like that, we can quickly watch that video, um, which is two or three minutes of your time. It's not an enormous amount of time. It's there. It's available as we need it. So it's really ongoing learning um, as we're doing things. Uh, rather than, you know, sitting down and doing a whole day's worth of training on it. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. Uh, Jodie, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your stack and how it all works together and integrates and creates efficiencies within your business. I appreciate that. We'll uh, jump back into the next or catch you in the next episode when we start chatting about compliance. Thanks, Fraser. Welcome back, Mitch. Here we are again. Thanks, Fraser. <laughs> we are, we are. And in this episode, we're talking a lot about uh, you know getting down into the into the the ditches and uh, or having a look under the hood and and talking about some of the things that um, that you use in your business that really is around the idea of integrations and you know adding things and uh, you know what we what we traditionally call the stack of software. Uh, talk to us about some of the uh, the some of your stack. So our stack, I wouldn't really call it a stack. So what we've done is based on the way that we work. So a lot of our focus has been trying to find software that we use for what we would deem to be its core competency, right? So I suppose you could call it a stack to, to a certain extent because we, we do not try to use one particular platform uh, for all and sundry we really clearly see that in the marketplace there is quite a few technology solutions that are that are spruced to be you know the nirvana or, but but I, I i truly don't believe that that is the case what we do is is we have rather than trying to fit one big square peg in a round hole we've tried to create lots of little round holes and find all the little round pegs that we need to try to fill them so what we, what we try to do where possible uh, around stacking, I would say, is we seek out what we deem to be best in breed, but we also try to find best in breed that has a synergy across all of the other platforms that we're using. And in a lot of circumstances, by virtue of what we're talking about here and some of the fairly astute developers that you've got out there, most of them you'll find these days play pretty happily in the pool with everybody else. Yeah, exactly right. Now, um, talk to, you know, so one of the things that we're sort of focusing on this is the idea of, you know, integrations and, uh, you know, uh, know, the old API word. I think the API word's been, uh, gets thrown around pretty frequently these days uh, and it's very easy to to roll off the tongue, but uh, probably a lot harder to to set up than than it is to say. 
Yeah, so we've stayed we've stayed heavily away from that at the moment, and I think there's a number of different reasons. Um, love a data feed, love raw data, love live data, but as a two-way communication type function, the risk and reward of that right now uh, for us having to own um, the the data input side at the same time is probably something from a from a risk and compliance point of view that our business at, at this at present is probably not resourced up to do so right now we're happy to play ball and receive the data and do whatever analytics that we need to internally and then rely on the specialists being the end user product provider whoever that might be to uh, to effectively process that data within the correct parameters to make sure that all the checks and balances are there yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? One way or two way data feeds. It's um, it's uh, and 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 along with that comes the permissions, of course, that go with it. You know, once you've started, once you're getting clients' personal data, and if if you if you're pushing it to any particular place, then you need to be very careful about how and where that gets pushed. When it comes to these integrations, how do you how do you go about setting them up? Uh, in a lot of circumstances, we're we're really relying on the um, the provider. So the provider. As I think I alluded to in the in the last podcast that we did, the provider for us comes to the fore with their support that they're able to provide uh, after the fact. So we do not have at present, irrespective of how we're growing, and it may be something for the future, absolutely. And it probably, you know, even having even talking to you now, it's probably a, a, a an impetus to go back and look at this, but. At the moment, we're fairly heavily reliant on the issuer of whatever the technology is to to play subject matter expert, um, and we will we will work with them to put a, a timeline and a set of expectations and parameters in place. But a lot of the integration is actually run by them, um, and or if it's a if it's a licensee supported. Um, or provided piece of technology, we'd leverage we'd leverage the relationship that we have there um, to make sure that it's done both with the resources available to them, but also in keeping with what they need around exactly what you're talking about. Um, the, the their their rules and metrics around um, individ- individually identifiable information and compliance and all of their governance requirements because. Right now, um, for us in our business, um, being uh, an authorised representative of a licensee um, is is the way to go and and, and I don't see any change to that. And we're really conscious that they have really, and and for good reason, they have really strict rules and regulations around compliance and governance. Um, So where we can leverage them um, around the integrations of these that they actually in a lot of circumstances have the first say around whether we can even wade in wade into these uh, relationships in the first place you know we've got um even down to the the password vault that we use um the the ins and outs and and the rules and parameters around that are actually set by the licensee they had a suggested solution um, and, you know, once it came to bear that we'd come up with um, X program that we wanted to use, they then had this full metric that we had to meet um, to ensure that that was the case. So we could leverage them quite heavily um, in the implementation of that tech and and we're ticking all the boxes on the way through, which makes us pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And and talk to me about future ideas. I mean, 
um, you know, with technology obviously advances. Is there anything that you'd like to see in that space that you could, um, when it comes to integrations, that you could sort of, you know, utilize or, or for things to be in, in a better shape than what they, they are? Yeah, so for us now, along the same lines as, as the, you know, the, the same thread of conversation as previous um, uh, previous discussions you and I have had, our business transition now means that um, uh, the, the distribution of our teams both uh, internationally and up the eastern seaboard means that now the centralisation and aggregation of data is probably going to become a pretty significant piece for us uh, centrally as a management team. So looking at the likes of uh, some of the softwares out, some of the software and, and tech platforms out there that allow that aggregation of data from multiple sources like your zeros and, and your, your, your advice softwares and those sorts of things um, is probably one of our logical next steps to be, you know, with all of these, with all of the underlying mechanics at play, um, to get that really high-level zoomed-out view of the business and how it's functioning so that we can identify, very quickly identify any deficiencies that we may have or any work that needs to be done so that we can potentially pivot into the next solution uh, is um, is probably coming down the barrel fairly quickly. Yeah, it's uh, certainly right. There's certainly a lot of uh, interesting change, I think, to come down that, that track. Hey, Mitch, thanks so much for uh, being part of this uh, episode. We look forward to catching you in the next one. Pleasure. Welcome back, Vicky. Welcome back, Fraser. <laughs> Thank you. It's going to be Thank my you new for line. welcoming me back. <laughs> uh, in this uh, this episode, we're talking a lot about uh, in, in integrations. Obviously, it's probably not a big area that you're working in, having a being a part of a larger corporate organisation uh, where you tend to build everything uh, yourself um, for yourself, I guess. Uh, so let's let's go through this, but. Um, Let's go in under the hood when it comes to things like um, structured data and how, how you work with data, uh, how important that is to your business. Um, tell us about tell us about structuring your data, structured data. Um, structured data. So, yeah, we are very much database with our factual decisions. Um, and so there is an entire department, I guess, um, that we call a center of excellence for our data. And so a center of excellence team flows to work in Telstra now. So we used to have a variety of data people in each team trying to sort of advise. And as you can imagine, um, you're repeating yourself or you're collecting it all in different angles. So by having these business analysts and data collection sell as a center of excellence, you bid during the QBR for how many of those resources um, and what type of data you want. So it's quite a good system. A great system. I love the bidding. I love the bidding war that goes on every quarter. It's like uh, my department should be getting this. Uh, we deserve it. Tell tell us about the uh, when you're working because obviously you're doing short sprints. Uh, you're creating um, smaller projects. Uh, then you've got to integrate that into the overall system or the you know. Um, and, and and I know with a lot of larger corporations, they may start a new project and then they've got to integrate an old uh, an older mm-hmm. database or an older system into a new system. How does that all run? Yeah, so the cross-functional collaboration and planning sessions would be those. Um, so the siloed working is very much something that is hard to change. I would say it's probably at least 12 months into your agile journey where we start to go, okay, we're doing great, uh, but the flow-on effect to another cross-functional department in Telstra hasn't been considered. So you butt up against that probably around the six to nine-month mark, and hopefully by the 12-month mark, we are having these cross-functional planning and integration sessions. Uh, that stop that from occurring right from the the get go of the next cycle. Yep. So the integration, uh, and, and and you sort of think about these things. You go, well, maybe the integration should all be considered up front. How does it how does it work? Like, as in, uh, you know, then you've got to make two different 
technology pieces of work talk together. Uh, Talk us through that process. So we actually have a work tool solution uh, where we do incoming and outgoing interactions with dependencies across the business. So that's where it starts. You flag and tag each other in the work tool solution, uh, entering into the planning cycle. And obviously you could miss that sometimes and we do build discrete pieces that then have to come together. Um, I would say some things though that are in a sprint, uh, one to two sprints, we would call that an epic, um, maybe perhaps three sprints at the most, could be done in isolation and still be of value. And the inter- you know, working with another part of Telstra could actually slow it down so much that the benefit analysis um, is saying actually just do it discrete and we'll see what happens when we have to bring it together. So we, we sort of sit about that epic space is where we go. Epic on your own, anything higher than that, you need to start some cross-collaboration early. Excellent. And uh, tell us about the testing process. How important is that in, in within that? Uh, obviously, the, the, the testing of the – you build a little, then you test it, you build a little, then you refine and yeah. test. So the software teams in Telstra have dedicated scrum leads um, that run the process to make sure that testing is one of the um, columns, I guess, in the to-do, doing, done. So prior to getting to done, there's a test filter. Um, and that's why they would have a full-time scrum lead. Um, your other teams in Telstra what we have what we call a hatted scrum lead. So the agile system can run with someone who has it as a part-time job. Uh, whereas in any of the technology um, mission teams, they have full-time. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, tell us about the idea, the future ideas of integrations. And, uh, you know, obviously we talk about the stuff that we're doing now, um, but how do you see um, future integrations taking place? In Telstra? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we would like the whole company to be cross-collaborative and cross-functional. Uh, I don't think there's any particular cell that works in a silo. Um Again, and again, across 30,000 people that may not be um, meeting in person, we need to use a lot of the tools available to us um, to flag and tag and highlight and invite others to this virtual space where we can quite easily cross-collaborate at the moment. Um, it's, it's actually much simpler during these times where we're all virtual. When I was in Melbourne, you're traveling up and down 37 floors trying to find the person who may need to be invited to something you may be doing at 10 o'clock, whereas now it's um, quite simple in the system to try to connect and collaborate. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Vicky, thanks so much for sharing what uh, what that large organisation does in this space. Uh, it just, uh, just goes to show it's not as easy for a large organisation. It's just, just as difficult for a large organisation than it is for a small business to try and make all these things work together and talk together. Appreciate your time and I will see you in the next episode. Great. Look forward to seeing you soon. Welcome back to this episode, Ivan. Thanks, Fraser. Fantastic to have you here. Now, we're talking about, you know, we're sort of wanting to, to open up and go under the hood a little bit when it comes to integrations. Uh, and obviously, this is something that you would spend a lot of time with. Tell us about uh, tell us about the integrations you're doing. Well, we're approaching integrations from an advisor logic perspective in two ways. There's the, what I call native integrations, which is where you work in partnership with another business to try and plug two systems together and really streamline the user experience across the two systems um, in order to implement some kind of native uh, integration, you generally have a button in the system that will push data or pull data from one to the other. Um, the other integration we're looking at is through a company called Zapier, which creates um, the ability for all users to build their own integrations. And through Zapier, you kind of 
develop these APIs that will um, be readable through the system. And then there's an interface for users to um, to jump into it and say, I want to connect this system with, say, Advisor Logic. Um, they define a trigger, which is when this happens in one of the systems, and an action, I will do this. So one of the things we've seen, for instance, from people is to say, we want to design our own data collection forms. And there's a bunch of different forms they can use to do that. Um, and they'll say, when the user submits that form, I want to take that information and feed it into my advisor logic database. Yeah, fantastic. Now, obviously, there's the efficiency that can be gained in these uh, in these, with these applications is huge. Um, talk to me. Let's go. Let's go um, with actually putting these integrations in place because they're they're not uh, they're not exactly. I mean, it's very easy just to roll off the tongue and uh, just just create an API and, and away we go. Um, tell us about the how complex it is in the background. It, I mean, for starters, it's two businesses working together. So both need to be ready. So both need to have these APIs in place, the, the kind of language and, and dictionary to connect together and to share data. Then they have to be willing to undertake that work. It's quite a lot of development work. Usually it can take up to sort of six to 12 months to actually um, design and build these integrations. Um, and then, of course, you've got to do that work. And throughout, there's a lot of analysis that takes place because you're connecting the user experience of two different systems. And often there'll be an overlap in terms of functionality. And what you want to do is create this seamless user experience. So you've got to sit down and negotiate how best practice will operate across these systems. You know, you do workflows in your system, we do workflows in our system. Where's the client going to do workflows? Where's the user going to actually leverage that functionality? And that needs to be built into a best practice so that you can really optimize the, the integration piece. Yep. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned the, the pulling and pushing of data. Now that we're talking about one-way or two-way type data uh, transfers, uh, that's all part of the conversation at the beginning, I guess. And, and, and that determines, that'll determine how complex the API is. Yeah, it, it will. Um, it's going to determine, you know, where you're triggering the data connection from, the push or pull of data. Um, and it will also create some kind of complexity around a source of truth, because when you're um, when you're able to enter data into two systems or more, that data can conflict. And so, what you're usually expecting is that you can. Um, you can enter it into one system, and if that if it's a one-way push, then that source that system becomes the source of truth. If it's going two ways, you need to enable the user to say, if there's a conflict, where do we resolve that? And that can add to a bit of complexity. But you can also have instances where you predefine the source of truth and you say, this data is coming from this system into that system, and then that system will push different data back to the first system. So they'll kind of align ultimately. Yep. You started mentioning the, the concept around native uh, API, and that obviously you know means that there is up to 12 months of ongoing business development from both businesses to do that, and um, and I guess quite a price tag that comes along with it. Quite a, a price tag. It's um, an internal price tag, a, a price in terms of uh, the, the cost and effort to build, um, and also the opportunity cost of building other things, right? Because each business only has a finite number of developers and they're working full-time, very hard, all the time, but they can only work on one thing at a time. So you're uh, you're choosing to integrate as opposed to building some other functionality. 
Yeah. So for small business, that uh, that's basically off the table, right? When it comes to you know creating native in- integrations, it's it's kind of a very difficult thing to commit to. Uh, I think it is. I think it is, and you know, it's a conversation that a lot of um, software providers are happy to have on behalf of a small business. So, you know, we, what we do from an advisor logic perspective is we collect all the requests for integrations, and where we see enough interest, then we have a a group of clients that we can work with to ensure that when we integrate with another business, that functionality is going to work for the users and they'll get value out of the process. Um, what smaller businesses always need to appreciate is that there's an upfront cost to integration and then there's an ongoing maintenance cost and you really need to continue to to work on these pieces, even if it's just testing to ensure that the two pieces, those two different software businesses, and they can go in different directions. You want to make sure that the integration is going to continue to work. Yep, and and you mentioned obviously the other way is through a third party um, platform like Zapier or or any of the others, I guess, that are out there. Uh, tell us about how that works when it comes to the small business and, and the cost and um, and how that's that can be more efficient for them or or effective for them. Well, what Advisor Logic's done is basically make the 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 various fields throughout the fact find available um, within Zapier for others to connect to. So when you look through this really large list of different applications that form part of the the Zapier universe, you can pick those applications and say, well, when I, um, for instance, when I use my email marketing tool. What I want to do is continue to keep the client list in that tool up to date with my client list inside Advisor Logic. So, what I'll say is every time I add a client to Advisor Logic, I want to take these details and push them through to my email marketing tool. The next time I send out a newsletter, that new client will receive it. So, you'll look through the list of advisor logic fields and you'll say I want the name and the email address and any other relevant information there and then you'll go to the email marketing tool and you'll find those similar fields and you'll set up your trigger and then each time you perform an action that will trigger that process it will push the data through and and keep the two systems in sync so what zapier does is it kind of gives you a user interface to do what you would otherwise need a software developer to do yep fantastic now i want to i want to dive a little bit deep into this this data as well because obviously um, advisors were used to talking about people's, you know, personal circumstances and uh, all these sorts of things, their goals, their hopes, dreams, aspirations. Um, yet, uh, yet in technology, we sort of talk about data uh, and structured data and be able to, you know, silo data into very small pieces of information. Uh, talk to us about how important the, the concept of having um, very granular data is. I'm a big believer in data and I, I generally feel like as an industry, we're not using data enough to, to get the most out of the situation at hand. Um, structured data is data that's easily searched, that's easily analysed, um, that comes in a consistent format and can be relied upon to be, um, to be sort of drawn into an analytical process. And then unstructured data can't be analysed quite so much. Images and things like that, um, it's, you know, it's hard to search a picture and say, find me that picture that shows this particular 
incident or you know this 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 um uh, reference to some advice I've provided. So being able to understand what data you've got and being able to analyze it and review it and report on it and and then look at trends or opportunities I feel is uh, is a real opportunity for the industry at the moment. Yeah, and certainly something like if I write up a page of file notes, it can be it can become quite difficult to for that to be structured. It can, it can, and there's some there's some really sort of interesting things happening across the industry of technology around the industry to support that. Uh, I mean, f- from the bare facts, if you get somebody who scribbles on a piece of paper and takes a photo of that and loads it up into a system. Um, it's going to be hard to analyze and to report on, right? You'll know there's a piece of paper in there. You'll know that it was added at a particular time. And if you add a a subject line to a file note, you'll know what that is. But outside of that, you don't know what's actually in there. Um, Obviously, if you're typing that file note, then that data can become structured and you can start to search the contents of the file note. There's some great stuff happening around the place with audio recordings and the ability to um, record a voice and then search through that and uh, potential efficiencies around the corner in terms of how you can leverage that kind of technology to turn what might have been unstructured data at one point in time into structured data and make it really easy to, to review and to search. Yeah, that's some really interesting technology. I'm I'm loving keeping an eye on that. That's um, although a lot of the time my my voice is way too mumbly for it. It sort of can't can't work out either the accent or the uh, or the mumble because a lot of it comes out of the American accent, I guess. That that's been the big challenge, I think. And then when you look at financial planning and all the acronyms that we use around the industry and the company names that we we throw around without even thinking of it. Um, there's there's a bit of learning that needs to take place in those systems to embed them properly, but the accents is a is a challenge that they've worked through. And of course, in Australia, we have so many different accents around the place. Um, it's fundamental to making that sort of thing work and enabling some some um, analysis around voice recordings. Yeah, no, I guess we just don't have the size of the market a lot of the time for these businesses to really go, oh, great, there, there is a market in Australia and this is the size of it and mm, do we really bother? I'd like to think we will. I, I, I feel that, um, you know, there's there's a big opportunity to capture not just uh, what I love about voice recordings. It's not just what's written. It's it, it, not just what's said, it's how it's said. And that can be so important to, to you know, um, understanding more about how a conversation went. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the value of a voice recording is is way more than just the, uh, the, the, you know, to be able to search for it. It's it's the fact that uh, it sits on your, um, and we'll probably get into this in the next episode when we talk about compliance, but uh, essentially it's um, it, it adds up way more value than just the, the uh, words themselves. Ivan, thanks so much for catching up uh, on this episode. We look forward to jumping into the next episode where we can catch you when we're talking about compliance. Pleasure. Thanks, Fraser. Mm-hmm.